Good morning, guys. Glad to be back with you today. Um, I want to talk about a, a subject that I don't think we really like to talk about that much, and we really try to to negate it in our life, to kind of ignore it in our life, to give it other names, to reason it away or rationalize it away. I want to start by telling you a story. Uh, several years ago, I was doing a children's sermon with a group of kids, and I asked the children, what was it that they were afraid of? You know, what was it that really scared them? Well, you know, I, I got the usual answers. Darkness, snakes, which I can understand that one a whole lot. Spiders, thunder, you know, the normal kinds of things that little kids are scared of. And so then I shared with them what I was afraid of. I was afraid of bats. No, not, not the baseball kind of bats, but the flying kind of bats, okay? Now, I know that sounds silly for a grown man to be afraid of, of bats. Maybe I watched too many, uh, you know, vampire movies where they turned into bats. But, no, the reason that bats scare me was because when I was a little kid, my mother told me that bats flew down, they made a nest in your hair, and they laid their eggs, and when the eggs hatched, you became insane. Now, first of all, I know bats don't lay eggs. Got that part. I also know that bats don't fly down and make their nest in people's hair. But when I see a bat, I still kind of cover my head. And if you notice, my hair is very, very short. Now, the children and I got a laugh out of the things that we were afraid of. And the kids got a really big laugh out of my fear of bats. But after that ch children's sermon, I, I began to think about what am I really afraid of? What am I really fearful of? What is it that causes that, that fear that in the pit of your stomach that you get? And there was one thing that I am totally scared to death of, and that was failure. Now, I know none of us like to fail. However, it goes a lot deeper in me than, than just that normal fear that we all have of failure of not succeeding. I will avoid failure at any cost. At any cost. I, I, I have failed to do things that I knew God wanted me to do because I was afraid I'm going to fail if I try to do that. See, when I fail, or I feel like I failed. I become depressed, and I've become totally obsessed with never facing that kind of failure again and having that kind of feeling. And it literally dominated my life. I turned down opportunities to do different kinds of ministries or to go different places because of the fear of the failure that I had and the fear of what that would feel like in my life. Now, 
admitting that I was fearful of failure was a good first step, but it was only a first step. You see, I knew that God wanted me to deal with my fear. I knew that for God to raise the roof and remove the walls in my life, he would have to give me a freedom from that fear, that fear of failure. And I knew the only way to overcome that fear and to be free from that fear would be found in prayer and in God's Word. I mean, those are the two greatest weapons that we have been given. That when we face whatever fear it is, and your fear may not be a fear of failure, maybe another kind of fear in your life. But whatever we face, the two weapons that God has given us that are constantly available to us is the Word of God and prayer. Now, I began to pray, but I wasn't asking God to take away that fear. I was asking God to make Him my standard of success. You see, there's a lot of times when we use other people's opinion or other people's standards or maybe even the standards of the world, or we come up with some arbitrary standard that we think we have to meet, something or somebody that we have to be like, or some level that we have to reach before we can feel like, hey, I've succeeded. And that was that was partly my my problem because I, I was I was looking at other people's success. I was looking at other people's circumstances and saying, "That's what I have to meet." Not looking to God to let God set whatever that standard of success that He had for me. So I didn't begin to say, "God, take this fear away from me." I began to say, "God, show me Your standard, what You expect and want for me." I asked that I wouldn't look at numbers of people or the responses or the praise of people, but I would focus on obeying God and making him smile, making him pleased with what I was doing, and then focusing on glorifying and honoring him in all that I was doing. Now, as I began to get honest with God about my fear. And, and, and really, we have to do that. We, we can't play games with God. First of all, God already knows. He knew what my fear was. He knew how much this fear gripped my heart and, and really controlled most of my actions. And he directed my thoughts and my heart to two things to be able to empower me to overcome that fear. First was scripture. And second was a song. Now, these are the two things that God constantly uses in my life to communicate with me, to encourage me, to bring conviction in my heart and my life, is his word and music. So the scripture that he had directed me to was a very familiar one. It was one that just a few years before this, I had preached a series of sermons on. It's found in Matthew chapter 14. I think it begins with verse 22. And it's the story of the disciples in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and a storm hits. Now, Jesus is back on shore on a mountainside praying. 
And he sees this storm hitting the Sea of Galilee. He sees his disciples out in this boat, and he sees that they're in trouble. And he comes to them, walking on the water to get to them. And they're afraid. They're, they're fearful, and they think it's a ghost. And he identifies himself, and he tells them, don't be afraid. You know, if if we looked at that phrase, don't be afraid, and how many times it was used by God to communicate to us, wow, it is numerous times in Scripture. He says it to Abraham. He says it to Isaac. He says it to Jacob. He says it to Moses. He says it to Joshua. He says it to the apostles more than once. And why is that? Because fear is such a prominent thing in most of our lives. So Jesus comes, he realizes they're fearful, they're fearful of the storm, and they see something they don't know and can't explain, and it goes beyond their, their natural explanation. They're fearful, and he says, don't be afraid. It's me. It's Jesus. And then Peter says, if it's really you, Jesus, you tell me to come to you. Now, I don't think Peter thought Jesus was going to do that. I think Peter thought Jesus was going to say, Peter, are you crazy? You can't walk on water. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, okay, Peter, come. Come on to me. Come on. Get out of the boat. Come on. I don't know what you would have done. I would have looked at Jesus and said, I can't do that. But that's not what Peter did. Peter gets out of the boat. He stands on the water, and he begins to walk on the water toward Jesus. Now, one of the questions I always had, was Peter scared when he did that? Oh, I think he was. I think absolutely Peter was scared. He had to be, because no one who's even slightly sane would not be afraid of walking on water, something that we should not be able to do. And he did it in a storm, a violent storm, so violent that these disciples, many of them were fishermen. They had fished on this lake many times. They had faced storms on this lake, but this storm was a more intense storm than maybe they had ever faced in their lives. So in the midst of this storm, with the wind blowing, the rain falling, the waves hitting him, Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water toward Jesus. Peter didn't let his fear keep him from doing what Jesus told him to do. We cannot let all these fears that the enemy is going to use the world to throw at us. Because here's the thing, Satan knows our buttons to push. He knows those fear buttons in our life. He knew my fear button of failure. He knew it. And every time I would plan something as a youth pastor, as a pastor, he would say, hey, that's not going to work. You know it. You're going to look stupid. You're going to be a failure. You're going you're to feel awful. What are the people going to think of you? He knew exactly which buttons to push. He knew what buttons to push on you to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. But we have to be like Peter. Not let our fear keep us from doing what Jesus tells us to do, even if it's out of our comfort zone. And let me tell you, when Jesus tells us to do something, it will almost always be out of our comfort zone. Now, Peter walked on the water, but when he felt that wind or he felt that rain falling or maybe he experienced a wave hitting him, 
his fear became his focus. He took his focus off of Jesus. As long as he was focused on Jesus, he's doing the impossible. He's walking on water. But the moment that he looks and he sees the conditions that he's walking in and the circumstances reminds him he can't do this, that's when his fear caused him to fall into the water. And Jesus reaches down and he pulls him out and he says, you have little faith, why do you doubt? He confronts him about his doubt, but notice he pulls him out. He doesn't let him sink. He doesn't let him frail around in the water. He pulls him out of the water. He does confront him over his doubt because he wants to, Peter to understand, hey, as long as you were focused on me and your faith was in me, you were doing the impossible. But when you put your faith in yourself to do something you knew you couldn't do, because of the circumstances and your focus now became the circumstances, the storm, the problem, that's when you fail. Peter was fearful, but as he focused his attention on Jesus, he walked on the water. But the moment his focus moved onto the conditions and himself, the storm, he fell. If God is going to raise the roof and remove the walls in my life, if he's going to raise the roof and remove the walls in your life, we have to have faith. We have to have faith that focuses our lives entirely on Jesus, not on our circumstances, not on our feelings, not on other people's opinions, not on what other people might say or think, but totally fully, completely on Jesus. We can't just see Jesus as someone we relate to once a week on a Sunday. Now, we, do, we get dressed up in our Sunday best. We take our Bible that we haven't looked at for the whole week, and we go to church, and we listen to this pastor teach, and we go, yeah, but the moment we leave the building, then our focus is not on Jesus anymore. It can't be a once a week thing. It can't be a once a day time in our devotion time. Or it can't be just when our life gets hard and we have no answers and, and, and no resources to go to, so we cry out to God. He has to be our focus 24-7. He must be that 24-7 focus in our life. When I talk to a lot of people about God and I ask them where they are in their relationship or their walk or their journey with him, many, many people, a whole lot of people begin to talk to me about church or about how they're trying to be good. And that's when I say, no, 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 I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about your efforts to be good. It's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, who is Jesus to you? Is he simply a lucky charm that that you need to bring out occasionally to get your life where you think it should be when life isn't going well? Is he simply a good teacher that he's got some good ideas and he's got some good things to base your life on? You know, a lot of times in the church, we produce people who are great moralists. They live great moral lives, but they're empty as far as their relationship with God goes. Or maybe he's a great model for your life, you know? I mean, I have, I had people in ministry, and, and they were a model. 
I, I had a guy named Barry Sinclair who was a great model for my youth ministry. I had a guy, another guy named Dave Busby who was a great model for how I went about relating as a youth pastor. When I became a lead pastor, there were guys I looked to to be kind of models, but Jesus has to be more than a model. He has to be the one and only Son of God. He has to be our lives. As his followers, he's got to be our lives. Now, if you know me, one of the things you know about me is I'm not a religious person. I, I'm not. I don't like rituals. I don't like traditions. I don't like programs that turn people into super Christian and six easy lessons. I don't like those kinds of things. I'm about relationship with God. You know, my, my son and I were, were talking yesterday, Monday, we do our record our podcast called Raise the Roof and Remove the Walls, and then we release it on Thursday, uh, put it on the platforms on Thursday, but we record it on Monday. And, and we were talking yesterday, and one of the things we got into talking about was, you know, in, in, in being a follower of Jesus, having a relationship with God through Jesus, there are no rule books. I mean, the Bible's not a rule book. The Bible is a love letter to us, Okay. But it's not a rule book. And, and when I got married, I didn't get a rule book that said, okay, here are the 12 steps you need to do as a husband that will make your wife happy and you'll have a great marriage. I didn't get that. None of us did. I didn't get a rule book. My wife didn't get a rule book when we had our first son, when we had our first child. We didn't get a rule book that said, here's what you have to do. You follow these steps. Everything's going to be okay. Why? Because it's a relationship. That's what it has to be with Jesus. That's what it was with Peter. When Peter got out of that boat, there were no rules about how to walk on the water. Okay, Jesus hadn't said, okay, guys, I'm going to take you through this study on how to walk on the water so when you get the opportunity, you can. No, this was unexplored territory for Peter and everybody else. We don't turn ourselves into super-Christians. It's not about rituals or traditions. It's about relationship with God. It's about focusing our lives on Jesus. Now, one of the things I have discovered is I want Jesus as my life. I want him as my life. But even more importantly than that, I need him as my life. Not just a religious rhetoric, rhetoric, you know, relic that I hang around my neck or put on my wrist or that I pick up once a week. No, I need him all the time, every day, 24-7, because I face fear all the time. I face life all the time. And so I must have him as the center of my life all the time. Raise the roof and remove the walls is about trusting God more than circumstances or feelings or other people's respect or other people's opinion. So that was the scripture that God brought to my life. Now, the song that he brought into my life is a little praise chorus. And I, I, it was on an album. Uh, well, it was on a, actually, it was on a cassette tape. I know that kind of goes back. That's how far it was. But this was a song that God directed me to. And, and, and it speaks to Jesus being our lives. And it's called Jesus Be the Center. And here's what the, here, here are the words, here are the lyrics. Jesus, be the center. Be my source, be my light, Jesus. Jesus, be the center. Be my hope, be my song, Jesus. Be the fire in my heart, be the wind in these sails. 
be the reason that I live. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, be my vision, be my path, be my guide. Jesus. This song is, is literally a prayer directed to Jesus to say, be the source, be the center of everything in my life. Now, I wanted to make sure that that was biblical, that, that, that what this song was pointing me to was a, a true biblical concept. And so I began to look at Scripture, and God directed me to two other passages of Scripture. The first is found in Hebrews 2.12 where the writer of Hebrews says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the author. He is the initiator of my faith. He is the one who initiated faith in my life. I didn't go to Jesus and go, I need you. He died on the cross for me. He rose again. And then through the Holy Spirit, he brought that reality that I needed him into my life. So he initiated, he wrote that faith into my life. And then he's the perfecter or he completes my faith. In other words, he initiated it. So I start by making him the focus, by making him Lord of my life. And then every day he's got to be that in my life. I can't just go, okay, I've given my life to Christ. I've got baptized. I'm a good person now. Everything's fine. No, it's an everyday thing. An everyday intentional choice on my part to focus my life on Jesus, letting him be the Lord of my life, the focus of everything. See, if God is going to raise the roof and remove the walls of our fears, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, and we have to stay fixed there. We can't then begin like Peter did. Oh gosh, look at the storm, look at the waves, look at the wind. No, we've got to stay fixed on Jesus no matter what is going on around us. I, I'm amazed sometimes when we read the Gospels and we see the chaos that's around Jesus, and he's focused on one thing, the Father. What has the Father brought me here to do? What is it the Father's will for me to do in this circumstance? He doesn't care about the situation around him. He only cares about what is the Father's will. That's what we have to do. That's the only way God is going to raise the roof and remove the walls of our lives, get rid of the fear, and allow faith to then be the predominant motivating factor in our lives. But then Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.3 that his divine power has given us, Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. If I'm to overcome my fear of failure, if you're to overcome whatever fear is in your life, and live our lives surrendered to God's standard of success, I must look to Jesus to be everything I need for life. He's got to be everything I need for life. And Jesus tells us that he is willing to be that, that he can be that in our lives if we will let him. In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What are all these things? Well, they're what he's been talking about in the previous verses. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. See, he knows your physical needs. He knows your, your earthly needs, to put it in those terms. He knows what you need in this life. And he's willing to be the source of providing those, but we have to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. 
we can't say, okay, I'm going to deal with getting these. And after I've gotten these and I've made sure that I'm secure here, then I can look to you. No, that's not how it works. We look to him. He makes us secure in providing those things. And he's what we need to be a godly person. I am not naturally righteous, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin, he, uh, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you and I could be the righteousness of God. I am righteous in Jesus. I'm not naturally holy, but in Jesus, I have been made holy because he's holy, and through the Holy Spirit, he is producing that holiness in me. The fruit of the Spirit the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the goodness, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control, all of those, where do they come from? They come from us naturally? No, they're fruit produced by God's Spirit working in and through us. So he provides, as I focus my life on him, I surrender to him as Savior and Lord. He then gives me everything I need for life and to be the godly person that he's called me to be. Now, do I still have times of fear? Yes. But my life is not dominated by fear, and fear does not control my everyday life. Raise the roof and remove the walls is about letting Jesus be your center and take you out of your comfort zone, letting him define who you are and living based upon his definition of who you are and what success is. Now, I know this isn't going to come as a shock to you, but we live in a in a time, in a world, in a culture that doesn't know who it is. We have no clue in our world today who we are. We we don't know who we are spiritually. I hear a lot of people who go, well, I'm really not into organized religion or church, but I'm very spiritual. You know, Satan is spiritual, guys. He is a spirit. He is spiritual. He is the definition of spiritual, but he is not godly. And he doesn't have a relationship with God. And ultimately, he's going to fall. That's not what God wants for us. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to be spiritual. He, want us, he wants us to be focused and surrendered to him as Lord of our lives. We don't, we, we're so confused in our culture. We don't know our genders. We don't, we don't know anything. We don't know what truth is anymore. We, we are clueless. So we can't let the world define us because the world doesn't know who the world is. It surely can't help you and I know who we are. But Jesus is our creator. He knows who we are. So we let him define us. We let him be our sinner. We let him take us out of our comfort zone so that he overcomes whatever fear that the enemy has used the world to place into our lives. This week, I want to encourage you to read Matthew 14, 22 through 33. It's about Peter getting out of the boat, walking on the water. And as you read it, ask God to reveal any fears in your life that keep him from raising the roof and removing the walls. And then ask the Holy Spirit to be in you what you need to obey Jesus. We're still going to be fearful at times, but we can continue to raise the roof and remove the walls in the midst of that fear. Now, I'm going to tell you, I know that God is in that process of relieving me from some of those fears, that fear of failure and other fears that might come into my life, because God has asked my wife and I to do 
I, I, I've been calling it a mission project or a mission trip. I'm, I want to rephrase that and call it a mission adventure this summer. And it takes us totally out of our comfort zone. I'm not going to go into details because it's in a sensitive situation and a sensitive area of the world, but it's out of this country. It's something that we've never done before that's not our comfort zone. It's not something we sought out, but it's something God brought into our lives. And I know he's overcoming the fear because I said yes. We said, yes, we'll do it. And a few years ago, I would have come up with every excuse not to do what God is telling me to do. So I know he's overcoming the fear. Is there some anxiety about this? Absolutely. But again, Jesus, his will, his desire is what needs to motivate and move our lives in the direction he wants it. Not letting fear of anything stop us from doing that. So we're going to pray. And I, my prayer is that you will share this message on your Facebook page with other people, because I think it's a message that people need to hear. All of us face fear. And that fear is not something that needs to dominate and control our lives. Jesus does. So pray with me. Father, I just want to thank you and praise you that you, first of all, are an all-powerful God, that you are the sovereign creator and ruler of everything. And Father, all of us have fears. All of us face those things in our lives that cause that feeling and the pit of our stomach. But you are the one who will overcome and help our focus to stay on you, Jesus, 24-7. And not let circumstances or our feelings or what we identify with or what people say or think direct us, but let your will direct us as we make you Lord of our lives and focus our lives 24-7 on you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit as he indwells us. We love you, praise you, and lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for accessing. Again, let me ask you to please share this on your Facebook page, if you will. Pray for us as we get ready for this mission adventure. And I'll be back next week, same time, same place, same station. I love you guys. Have a great week. Bye.